The following lecture was produced by the Rhode Island Student Assistance Services with funding from the Rhode Island Department of Health. Welcome to the Rhode Island Youth Mental Health Webinar Series. This week's topic, Becoming an Approachable Adult, presented by Lisa Hoopis and Hannah Woodhouse. Remember, your feedback is important to us. Fill out the survey in the description below for your chance at winning a $100 gift card. Hello everyone. Thank you. Thank you for joining this learning experience on becoming an approachable adult. I'm Katie Hamill, a student assistance counselor at Rhode Island Student Assistance Services. We are proud to bring you this series of webinars focusing on youth mental health and trauma and the unique role that parents, educators, and communities play in fostering resilience in youth. This series is brought to you in partnership with the Rhode Island Department of Health. Thank you for attending this webinar. If you're viewing this live, please feel free to ask questions in the chat box. If you watch this live or recorded toward the end of the webinar, there will be a link to complete our post survey so we can get your input on future topics for webinars. By completing the survey, you will have the ability to receive contact hours and a chance to win a $100 gift card. We are extremely fortunate to bring you Lisa Hoopis and Hannah Woodhouse from Sojourner House. Lisa, she, they, is the Director of Education and Training at Sojourner House. She has over 20 years of experience developing and facilitating trainings and workshops to a variety of audiences. She's a graduate of Rhode Island College, where she's an adjunct professor in the Health and Physical Education Department and teaches human sexuality. She works with school districts and organizations to provide professional and youth development training, program cons consultation, curriculum development, and assist setting up peer education programs. She is also a certified Rhode Island Police Academy trainer and Academy curriculum developer. Hannah, she, her, hers, is the educator, education coordinator at Sojourner House. She has been involved in violence prevention education education since her undergrad career at the University of Rhode Island, where she was a member of the campus's peer advocacy group and eventually rose to the coordinator role. Through this experience, she has developed a strong passion for educating students and adults of all ages and backgrounds on the topics of violence prevention, social justice issues, and health and sexual health. She is a graduate, she is current, she is a current graduate student at the Boston, at the Boston College Lynch School of Education, obtaining her master's degree in educational leadership and social policy to be conferred in 2022. Thank you again for your interest in this very timely topic. And I am now pleased to turn it over to Lisa and, and Hannah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. And I am quickly, before we're gonna get started, I'm gonna drop in the chat, just if you feel comfortable with it, putting your name, your title, and where you are from, so we can see who's with us today. Yeah, so thanks for the great introduction. Um, we're gonna get started. And uh, like, like you mentioned, you're welcome to type into the chat and participate with us. So if uh, we are gonna be asking you some questions and asking you to engage with us, so this won't just be us lecturing to you for the next hour. We do try to engage as much as possible with folks. So, um, so please, if you have questions or comments or things as we're going, please feel free to throw them into the chat. All right, so welcome to Becoming an Approachable Adult. So just to review today's objectives, I know they were there when you registered, so you know what you are coming for, but just a reminder for those of you who might be watching online and didn't get a chance to see the, the information or the description, uh, today's session we're going to be looking at and talking about the impact of language on young people to either open up or shut down a conversation. We'll also look at recognizing some important characteristics of creating safe and brave spaces for youth, and we'll look at what the difference is in those terms. And then also we're going to share some strategies for you to help approach and respond to uncomfortable topics and give you an opportunity to share what some of those examples uh, might be for you. Um, and we'll talk about how we might respond to those. And again, uh, lots of opportunities for you to ask questions and engage with us as we're going. All right. So before we get started, we're going to talk a little bit about group agreements and I also want to encourage you all, especially for those of you who are teachers or who might run spaces, 
to, and I really do encourage you to, to use group agreements. They, they can be really helpful, especially in setting up these, these safe spaces that we're going to be talking about. So these are some of the things that, are, that we find are helpful. But as we're going through this list, what I would love for you to do is type into the chat, what are some group agreements that you have? Or what are some of the ways that you start to introduce safe spaces to folks that you work with? So again, if you have certain group agreements or things that you find are helpful to set those boundaries for the students that you're working with, we'd love for you to start to type those into the chat. And I'll start and talk a little bit to you about some of these, some of the ones that might jump out of you. So I always like to include respect, but also define respect. So what does it mean, right? It might mean picking up your trash when you're leaving. It might mean the language that you're using. So when, you know, students mention respect, and it's usually one of the first ones that they mention, I always like to ask, you know, what does that mean to you? Again, just to kind of get some clarity and, and point out that there's lots of different ways that we can respect people and things. Trust is going to be really important. This goes for everybody. So if you say as an adult that you're going to do something, please follow through and do it. It really does set up the space for you, for them to, to learn that, you know, if they, if you, if you do say you're going to do something that you're going to do it. And so, you know, having that, that respectful um, environment and one that there's trust in both you as the teacher and then also in them as the student, right? So, you know, I always like to acknowledge this one. So, you know what, I'm going to trust you. If you say you're going to the bathroom, I'm going to trust that that's where you're going and that you're going to come right back, right? So again, just kind of acknowledging these things up front and telling the young people that we work with that we're going to give you some autonomy, but that we also hope and respect in return that, you know, that we can trust you, right? And that you're going to do the right thing. I always love to give folks the right to pass because sometimes people don't want to answer, don't want to participate, just like you all. You know, we hope and encourage you to participate today. We want you all to have your cameras on and engage with us, but we also give you the right to pass. We're not going to call on anybody. We're not going to make anybody uncomfortable. One that comes up, one that I really like to use is called the Vegas rule. And again, whether you're in a formal space or an informal space, this one might be really a helpful one to have, which is, you know, the conversations that we have are going to stay between us unless, and this is a big one, unless you are talking about harming yourself or harming somebody else. If you decide, if you disclose that you're harming yourself or harming somebody else, that does go beyond what I'm able to keep confidential. That's really important to let young people know because it does help them figure out what they want to disclose and what they don't want to disclose. I know Ms. Hannah uses one and we even have, I think, Beatrice Aki, who's on our, who's our school-based advocate here. You know, we will sometimes say, if you don't feel comfortable talking about something for yourself, use a friend. And so that will sometimes get around, you know, if, if they're wanting to disclose something, but they, they don't want it shared, um, you know, a friend or somebody that I know, but the Vegas rule is really important. Again, not for just for you as the facilitator to not go out and say, you know, uh, you know, or share, even if it's a hallway conversation that you're having with somebody, you know, to go out and share that information with other people without letting the young person know first why you would be doing that. So again, you know, keeping that space is going to be really helpful in terms of having young people open up and knowing that, you know, they're not going to just, you're not just going to start telling their, their parents or other teachers or other folks in the school. Don't yuck my yum. This one is one that I love to include. I, I teach sexuality. That's really my background. And so some of the content that I talk about and some of the things that I talk about with my students might be uncomfortable for them. And especially if there's other young people around, somebody might say something. And what I don't want to happen is somebody else to go, ew, gross, disgusting, yuck. And the person who said it feels bad, right? So I like to use the example of ice cream. If I said, you know, I like Rocky Road ice cream, I don't want to all of a sudden to everybody go, ew, gross, disgusting. Why would you want marshmallows in your ice cream? Because then I'm going to feel really bad. So again, creating that space to say like, hey, if you don't agree with something, that is totally fine, but we're not going to yuck other people's yum. What I find is helpful is if you set these group agreements up ahead of time, then the students start kind of doing this for themselves. They'll say, hey, you're yucking my yum. Don't, you know, don't do that. So you as the facilitator can kind of step back and, and kind of let them uh, navigate how these things are affecting them. I always do like to encourage active engagement. And so I let young people know, especially if I want their cameras to be on in some spaces we do require it in other spaces, maybe not. But when, you know, spaces are required to have the cameras on, I do let them know, you know, if something is going on, if for whatever reason you don't want to be called on today, just private message me and let me know. So that way there, I know not to call on you. 
otherwise the expectation is be ready to get called on because I just might do that. Right. So um, again, depending on what situations I know some schools are making it so students don't have to put cameras on, but even in that situation where they don't have to have their cameras on, you might want to call on them to put something in the chat. And so again, just giving students the space to say, Hey, not today, you know, not to say, and then you might want to say, you can't do this every day, but you know, everybody has their bad days and there are going to be days that people just might not be able to actively engage. Take space, make space. So if you see somebody really taking up a lot of space and a lot of talking a lot, maybe asking them to, there's another one we call step, uh, step up, step back. So step up, meaning, you know, asking them to what their experiences or perspective. Maybe I haven't heard from this side of the room or I haven't, you know, heard from so-and-so today just give space. A lot of times people need a little bit more time to process. So that can just be really helpful again, to make sure that everybody's inclusive and you're not hearing from the same people all the time. Certainly we are really encouraging people to take advantage of self-care right now, especially during the pandemic, but all the time, right? I mean, you know, anytime that you, you have the opportunity to talk to a young person, especially if they're disclosing things, you know, around exam time or, after, you know, anytime they're, they're saying things are tough, you know, asking them what they're doing um, right now, it's really nice weather out, you know, ask them, have you gotten outside yet? You know, is there something that you like to do outside in the summer, but having those conversations and really encouraging folks to, to get out a little bit and, um, and, you know, enjoy the nice weather. So this one I'm going to use today. Again, I said these group agreements, you know, could be used with youth or anybody, but I'm going to use this today. You know, nobody knows everything. I certainly don't know everything. I've been doing this for a while and I still, you know, learn something new every single day. And you all together collectively, we have 71 people on the call. Woohoo. You know, you all have lots of great information. So again, I'm going to go to the chat in a second and share some of the things that you're all coming up with, but please share the wisdom today and how you're approaching these things. And, um, and I think that's part of the beauty. I think also asking young people to share their perspectives is also really important when you're thinking about how to include people and how to create spaces where young people feel empowered and feel like they are able to express themselves in those spaces. Always assume positive intent. So, you know, again, people are going to have different perspectives, different ideas. I think this is a really impactful one to remind remind people is that, you know, we're going to assume that people have the right intentions, but we also want folks to take responsibility for their impact. So if somebody's saying something in your classroom that's disrespectful or hurtful, we don't want to just ignore that and keep going. We, we want to stop and actually address that because the person might not even know that what they're saying is harm. So one of the ones that we talk about a lot is um, no homo, right? Somebody might say something and then they might be like, oh, but no homo or, you know, say something and then like come back and say, say a comment, right? Like, oh, I didn't mean it to be gay or I didn't mean this. You know, when you hear those comments, bringing them out and saying, actually, that can be hurtful for somebody. And so, you know, in this space, let's not use that word, right? Or, or in this space, we're not going to use that language. Um, it's what we call calling people into the conversation as, a call, as opposed to calling people out, right? We don't want to like embarrass people. We don't want to put people down or make people feel bad. Um, but we do want to just let people know that their language matters and, and teach people. So if maybe they're using something that's not the best language or not the most friendly thing. Really important. Maybe you hear somebody using somebody's improper pronouns and you just say like, hey, so-and-so actually prefers these pronouns. Um, so again, those, those kinds of things can be really helpful in terms of like calling people into a conversation and saying, Hey, I would love for you to learn more about this perspective, as opposed to saying like, Hey, you're doing it wrong. or You're not right. Or, you know, you messed up that kind of stuff. Being solutions oriented is really helpful. Again, um, not, you know, just putting things out there to complain, but, you know, to try and come up with a solution or to try and come up with some alternatives and then acknowledging feelings, not just ideas. So Hannah's going to talk in a little bit about some bystander stuff, but one of the things that you can do is just kind of acknowledge the feelings and tell people how they're feeling. So we like to use this one called name it, claim it, stop it, where you're saying, Hey, this is what you're doing. Here's how it's making me feel. And we're going to ask you to stop, stop doing that. Right. Cause it's disrespectful or because it's not appropriate. So the feelings piece is really important. And then coming at it from this place of here's how it's affecting me, not you're doing this, but like when this happens is how I, this is how I feel when this happens and then being safe and being brave. And we're going to get into a little bit more of that um, also in a little bit. So let's go to the chat and see what, what uh, things are coming up for you all. If there's other things, let's see, it says, um, I see Astrid says, pay attention to when you're triggered or feeling resistance, asking yourself, what might be these feelings be telling myself, sorry, what might these feelings be telling me about myself? Great. Yeah. That's a perfect one. Thank you for mentioning that. Sometimes breathing can be helpful, right? If things start getting too much, you know, just breathing, taking in some deep breaths, 
offering sometimes a space for somebody to go um, is helpful. So I, I've had spaces where, you know, they've set up a beanbag in the, in the back of the room and said, you know what, if things get too, you know, too intense for you, you know, check out and you don't have to get permission for it. You can just get, get up and go into the beanbag chair. Yeah. Any others come up that you think are helpful in terms of group agreements or others? The others that were in the chat, um, one said confidentiality, staying away from gossip. Ooh, good one. And then using I statements. Ah, I statements are really great. Perfect. Yeah. Sometimes I'll even say share the information you're learning. Just don't share personal things about each other in the space. So these are really great. All right. You want to do the next one? Yeah. So thinking a little bit about shutdowns, right? So what can shut down a conversation with a student? Thinking about micro insults or microaggressions. So this is when self-reflection really comes into play, recognizing our identities, our privileges, our oppressions, and how they manifest in our work. So if we, you know, maybe accidentally we slip up, we say something we didn't mean, checking ourselves and making sure we learn from that. And I think the example of um, using pronouns is, is a good one because it's something we're seeing more and more right when students maybe use pronouns that differ from how they look and it's all a learning experience we slip up and we learn from it and ultimately that's something that we need to kind of constantly build into our everyday practice talking down to or at someone right so i think there's kind of this fine line with with counselors social workers teachers anyone who works with children um between being their authority figure and being their friend right so kind of finding some middle ground where it's a comfortable boundary for you and that student and making sure that we recognize that even though they are younger they're still a human being right they're still a person with their own problems um, and they're coming to you because they feel you are safe and that's something that should be recognized making decisions for them, right? So taking the autonomy or the agency away from the child. Sometimes I think that this can immediately shut down a conversation because a lot of the times even adults don't seek advice just to be told what to do, right? They're trying to hear different perspectives and, and kind of understand what they're going through through someone else's eyes. So that's more the, the adult's role, right? The adult ally's role compared to making the decision for the child. I think with parents, this might be a little different, right? If you're a parent, you might feel a little differently about this. And certainly with your own children, you can, you can act differently. But if you're working with a child at a school, thinking about how we can kind of talk about all the options and, and still let the child decide what they think is right embarrassing them right dismissing them i think one of the biggest things no matter what position you are in is you know stopping what you're doing and listening right so um i know you know picking up a phone and texting while you're talking to someone right is rude talking on the computer i mean not talking on the computer typing on the computer while the child is there right stopping what you're doing and giving your full attention so they don't feel dismissed and like they feel they can come to you adultism adults have more power right <laughs> again trying to find that boundary or that middle ground of equality between the, the two people of course the adult does have more authority more background born more knowledge but in this moment it's important to find that that middle ground that can be helpful for the child and then negativity right the conversation might get shut down by saying you know you can't do that or you won't do that right we don't know that for sure right and we want to make sure we're providing options and knowledge and feedback to the child if they're seeking us out for advice i saw a couple things come into the chat thinking about the body language absolutely um so i know one of the things we always learn right the crossing of the arms makes the person seem closed off right um so maybe having them sit down right so they can continue do not tell someone who is elevated to relax right i know even for me if someone were to say that to me that would really upset me right if i was upset um, allowing them to express themselves in whatever way is comfortable for them yes reading the other person's body language right the student's body language absolutely thank you all we're gonna do two memory exercises together so you can just use the chat to participate thinking back to when you were a kid to a time when you felt shut down, right? If you ever had, right? Maybe you tried to tell one of your parents or guardians something or another adult in your life or an older sibling um, and they shut you down or they turned you away. You felt unheard or unseen. So what was happening and ultimately how did that make you feel? So practicing a little bit of empathy and you can share as much or as little as you want um, into the chat. I always find it's helpful to ground us in where, where they're at, right? 
Sometimes people say young people are giving us a hard time. I always say young people are going through a hard time. They have a lot going on. So I see some feelings here, right? Feeling less than, feeling disrespected. Kevin said to this day, he hates the words, I don't care, right? Definitely. Made me feel unimportant, misunderstood. Karen said, my parents always dismissed my opinion because I was a kid. Made me hate being a kid and I couldn't wait to grow up. I'm with you there. I felt that way a lot when I was a kid, right? Certainly ignored more of a show for them than actually caring right absolutely and that can be incredibly harmful to the child's psyche right problem was a joke or not important right oof ask me if i care that's like <laughs> gets under my skin yeah dismissed ignored right so you know practicing this empathy and, and things that we've experienced right like lisa said to ground us into this discussion our second memory exercise, right? Thinking back again to when you were younger and you don't have to be a little kid. Maybe you were an adolescent who in your life was approachable, right? So who was that person you could talk to? Maybe that wasn't dismissing you, wasn't making you feel less than or small. And what about them made them approachable, right? I can say from my experience, you know, my mom was really busy. She wasn't my most approachable adult because she worked three jobs my, the entire time I was growing up. So I never really wanted to bother her. But I did have um, someone at school that I really cared for, my choir teacher, who I could talk to, right? So just someone who was at the school um, and was able to be there um, when I needed her. Grandmother, right? So Astrid's saying, yeah, so um, feeling teased because of the accent, clothes, name. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Grandma always made me feel loved, yeah. Auntie Jane, my parents, my dad. Sister, awesome, non-judgmental, right? Always listen no matter what. Yeah, so thinking about those characteristics, what made them approachable? Lisa, did you have somebody growing up that was approachable to you? My friend's parents were, so I couldn't necessarily go to my parents, but I had some friend's parents that were. So, you know, I think even in this in this activity, it's, you know, it's not always your, it's not always your own parents or your own family. Sometimes it's outside your family. So, you know, we did this, this whole training, not set up where it's a parent workshop or it's a teacher workshop, but just how to be an approachable adult in general. Because I think sometimes it, it, for me, it was also a neighbor. I had a really close neighbor that I could talk to. Yeah, so unconditional love, no judgment, understanding. Yeah, thank you everyone for sharing. Perfect. So this is my favorite quote. I actually have this a big uh, poster of this hanging up in my in my living room. But I, I it, it does remind me that, and I love to talk about it when we're talking about answering questions because I, I do think that you know, regardless of what you say, people might forget the words that you use or what you say, but they're not going to necessarily forget what you did or how you make them feel. And I think this is so important, um, especially for the teachers that are here in the room, you know, teaching the math, teaching them the subjects. Yes, it's important, but they're not going to remember all the details of that. They're not going to remember, oh, this teacher is the one that taught me this skill. They might, um, but they will remember all that. I had this really awesome fifth grade teacher. I had this really awesome sixth grade teacher that I, you know, I connected with or I had fun with. I will tell you that at my son's school, and, and I've heard this repeatedly over, over the years, at my son's school, the person he connects with is the janitor. I've heard people say that the person that they connect with is the lunch lady every day because the lunch lady is the one that knows our name and says it the right way. I've heard people say, you know, the, the person that they connected with the most was the bus driver. So, you know, again, it's those people that are saying hello to them every day, that are remembering their name, that are giving them that warm welcome hi that you know, are making the difference in the, in the everyday lives. Uh, I'm not saying that the teachers aren't making the difference because of course they are, right? There's lots of impact in terms of, of giving young people education, but in addition to the education, we also want to make them feel good. And so I did a training and I do a training. And one of the ways that I started is I, I put a bunch of newsprints up, up on the windows and I ask, you know, what are the feelings that we want students to feel when they're with us, when they're in our classroom, when we're talking to them, when, you know, when, when they leave and they go home and they talk about their experience, what are those feelings that we want them to say? How did they feel at school today? We want them to feel safe. We want them to feel supported. Um, Y'all can type in the chat. How do you want students to feel when they're with you? And then that's what we're going to do, right? That's, we want to try to create environments where they feel those things, right? Where they feel safe, where they feel supported. And so that's going to be kind of where we're going next is how do we, how do we help get those, get them to realize that we, we are those folks that they can come to. Great. I feel important. I feel hurt, safe and heard. Great. Yeah. Really, really important that they matter, that they're accepted, that they cared about. Great. Perfect. Valued, validated. Awesome. Safe, supportive. 
All right, next we're gonna talk about how to create some of these safe and supportive environments. And so part of creating the safe and support, supportive environments is being present, right? Being available for those casual conversations. I used to work at a school and lots of the teachers were in the classrooms kind of doing, and I get it because teachers don't have a whole lot of time from class to class. So they'd be in the class, their heads would be down and they'd be prepping their, their, you know, their next classroom. And they'd be missing out on a whole lot of opportunities to meet people in the hallway, right? To, to, to be a smile, to be a student that, you know, back in the day before COVID, we, I'd be like handing out high fives in the, in the hallway. But what would happen is, especially for me, because a lot of times I was coming into a school. So, you know, students didn't always know who I was or didn't always recognize me. And if I was a sub or if I was coming in to like take over this class, I, I wanted people to at least be familiar with my face. Hannah and I do a lot of workshops in schools where we do repeated workshops. So we're there over time. So we might be working with an eighth grade this month, but next month we're going to be working with the ninth grade. Well, we want those ninth graders to just be familiar with us, right? So sometimes just standing out in the hallway can be really helpful just to let them see you. And then while you're standing there, you know, saying, hey, nice backpack. Hey, how you doing? Hey, you know, and, and that is so helpful. And again, you know, the more that you can learn people's names and learn a little bit about somebody before you have them as a student or, you know, when you have a, have them as a student, it, it helps create that bond. You know, we're going to talk a little bit in a, again in a minute about bystander intervention, but certainly if you see that person that is being picked on or teased, or you're aware of that person that's being picked on and teased, you want to really make sure that you are, you know, you have that person's back. And if you see that happening, you're putting an end to it and, and calling out any kind of behavior that's not acceptable. This one's huge. I can't tell you how many schools I've been in where teasing is happening and teachers just completely ignore it. Or students say to me, you know, this happened and, and my teacher saw it, but never said anything. Like if you see something that is happening, it is really your responsibility to stop that and be the example so that people don't feel unsafe in their classrooms. Um, learning people's names is really important. I know a lot of times when somebody has a hard name, we try to go, to, you know, we try to avoid it or we try to, you know, stay away from those names. Even if you have to ask somebody to say their name again, again, this one sometimes is really tricky, especially for us where we see so many different students. We don't just have, you know, 20 or 30 students. So things like letting folks change their names. So if you're in a Zoom call, you can change your name. You can even put pronouns next to your name. So, you know, my, my pronouns are she, her. I also use they pronouns. Miss Hannah will often put her pronouns in the name so that, you know, again, when, when people are coming in, they can see what our names are. They can see the pronouns that we use. Also, one of the other things I like to do when I'm in a, in a class that I don't remember people's names is I'll have them just like fold a piece of paper and then put their name on it and just put it in front of them. So again, that way there, I can call their names. I can say their names, but there's a lot of power in hearing people in hearing your name and, and being addressed by, by your proper name. Using that inclusive language. So again, not making assumptions on, on anybody's gender. So, you know, I just mentioned I use she, she, her pronouns. You know, I also use they pronouns. Most people use they pronouns. If you've ever talked about somebody and didn't know what their gender was, you've probably used they pronouns with them, right? So, you know, I always say to people, if you don't know my genders, just use they pronouns. But there are folks that don't use she, her, her, or him, his, and only use they, them pronouns. And if that's the case, you want to make sure that you're not using pronouns that aren't cool with them. And, and asking is cool. You can always say, you know, what pronouns do you use or what pronouns, you know, do you go by? What you don't want to ask is, um, you know, questions around their particular biological sex gender. So certainly if you're curious about the way they're expressing or you're not sure about their pronouns, you can ask that. But you wouldn't want to say like, well, did you go through a surgery or did you go through a change? things like that are not going to create safe and supportive environments. Just think about it. You wouldn't want somebody asking those questions of you. Open-ended questions obviously are really helpful. So not just saying, you know, did you have a good day? Yes, no. But like, what did you learn today? And having them expand on some of those things. Um, having a routine is super helpful. So again, my students would know that I was always out in the front and they could always like check in with me in between classes even if they weren't, even if it wasn't the grade that I was teaching, they would know that, hey, you know, Lisa's going to be in the school every Tuesday. I'll see her upstairs if I need her. Same thing with you all. You know, most of the students know where to find you, having that routine so that they know if they need to get you. Maybe you were their favorite teacher last year and now you don't have them anymore this year, right? How can they still get in touch with you and connect with you if you need to? Be encouraging, compliment. Some of, I mean, I'm not going to read all of these. I hate it when people do that, but you all could do that. If you happen to mess something up, just acknowledging it and moving on. Don't make a huge deal out of it. it sometimes it actually makes it worse. If you acknowledge it, then that tells the person that you care. And then, you know, try to do better the next time so that you don't continue to mess it up.
if you do have to have a conversation with somebody, it's better to do it in private. So you don't want to necessarily say something right in front of the whole class, especially if you're called, that's part of the calling in as opposed to calling out. So calling out would be, I'm going to do it in front of everybody in the classroom. And there may be times, especially if everybody in the classroom is affected by the comment somebody made that that might make sense. But if it, if it can be done privately, then these kinds of things are, are, are better done privately. Again, people feel more comfortable when they, when there's not a crowd or when there's not other people listening. And so again, depending on what it is, some of these things might be better done in private than in public. Giving folks options is another really cool thing. So, you know, I don't have you this semester, but you know how to get in touch with me. You can email me. You can see me after school. You can see me at lunch. I'll be at recess. So, you know, maybe you can't have that student just popping into your new classes or, you know, showing up, you know, randomly during the day, but you could give them options of when they might be able to see you. So the more you can, youth can have options and make decisions for themselves, the better. We also want to encourage youth voice. And also with the safe base stickers and other kinds of symbols, these things can be helpful in creating safe and supportive environments. I would just be aware, you know, I've had, you know, safe supportive trainings where everybody leaves and everybody goes, puts a symbol up on their door, but they're, they're really not ready to have these conversations when young people start coming to them. So I would say, you know, if you're, if you're ready and wanting to have conversations with young people about gender identity, orientation, all those things, then yes, you know, you could put a triangle on your, on a rainbow or a triangle on your door and know that, you know, you're a safe and supportive person for that. But know that as soon as you do that, it puts a little bit more pressure on you to, you know, have those conversations and make sure that you're doing them right, or at least willing to have those conversations. So again, those things can be really, really helpful, but, you know, also know that there's a little bit of responsibility in making sure that if you put a sticker on your classroom that says it's a safe place, you better be ready to be a bystander if things start not being safe. Anything to add? Other ways that you all are creating safe and supportive environments? Hannah, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I don't see any coming in the chat, so I think we can move on. And so uh, looking at the difference between safe and brave spaces. So I've been saying safe and supportive spaces, right, which is really where, where a lot of the language has been over the last few years. There has been a shift to, in addition to creating safe and supportive spaces, which we do want to do, there's also been a shift to create brave spaces. So brave spaces, it does take a little bit more work to do this a little bit more deliberately, definitely need lots of group agreements and agreements in all of the parties on, on kind of what to do when something is said in the space that might not feel good. So one of the group agreements I sometimes use is ooch out, um, oops or ouch. Um, and so if somebody says something, it gives the person a, an ability to say like, oops, I didn't mean to say that. And the other person to say like, ouch, what you just said hurts me. Know that, you know, calling somebody into a conversation takes some bravery, right? Especially when we're having conversations around race, when we're having conversations around po politics, when we're having conversations around things that people might have differing opinions on. We want to create a safe place for everybody to speak and for everybody to feel supported in what they're saying, but we might not always agree to what they're saying, right? So part of being safe isn't always just agreeing and saying, yeah, yeah, I, that makes sense. And, and I'm going to go along with that. But sometimes being brave is saying, you know what, I don't agree with your opinion. Or have you ever thought about this perspective? Or that's not my experience. So being brave is actually bringing other people's experiences into the space and also giving people the ability and the option to say, hey, you know what, actually, that's not the case for me. And so thinking about what that looks like, especially if you're a teacher, really being intentional around creating those spaces. So, you know, I, I do teach a college course. And, and one of the, the things that I, I try to do in that space is I give them assignments and they there are, you know, criteria and there's a rubric of what they have to do. But I'm not basing their grade off of what they say. I'm basing their grade off of whether they did the assignment or they didn't do the assignment. Because what I want them to do is challenge some of the things that I'm saying. I don't want them just to agree with, oh, yeah, okay, that's the way it is. I want them to say, no, I don't agree with that. Or, or here's my experience. So in order to do that, I take the grade piece out of it away. So I'm not grading it A, B, C, D. I'm grading it, you did it or you didn't do it. And I give them points. So thinking about those kinds of things that you might be able to do on assignments, you know, to, to create feedback just for yourself as a teacher, and then also creating spaces where you might be giving feedback or having people have conversations about things that they don't know a lot about and they might be learning about 
or, you know, something like pregnancy options, for example, where people have really strong feelings about that. Okay. We're going to have a conversation about these things. We want people to feel, you know, brave in, in disclosing or coming forward about, you know, their questions. Any questions on like creating safe spaces and brave spaces? There's a lot of overlap and intersectionality, but there's also some folks that are trying to like kind of get do away with like the safe space idea of certifying people or certifying spaces as safe spaces, because you as the facilitator may not always be able to assure somebody's safety if somebody's coming into that space and saying something that you don't per se agree with. So, you know, they mentioned earlier in the intro that I used to work at the women's center, you know, I could say that the women's center was a safe space, but if some guy came in and started talking about how he thinks women should do this or women should do that, well, now all of a sudden my safe is my space isn't safe anymore. Right. So again, I, I need to, you know, make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm controlling that. And I'm able to protect the fact that yes, I still want it to be safe. And I don't want people to say things that are hurtful, but also how do I now have a conversation with this person that just came in, in a, in a brave way, you know, in a way that, that, you know, gets that education and not just shames them and says, you can't think that way. You can't say that, but brings them into the conversation. All right. I'm going to turn it over to Hannah. She's going to talk about how, how we can approach uncomfortable situations. Yeah, so this is more of a brainstorm activity. I know we have a large group and I'm so happy that we have so many people who are interested in this topic. It's awesome. But what we really wanted to do to kind of round out this training and to talk a little bit about some things that maybe you've experienced or witnessed in your work or even hypothetical uncomfortable situations that might occur, right? So thinking about things that have happened either in a current job, a past job, maybe something you've heard about that maybe a student or child, right, approached an adult and there was some type of uncomfortable situation that was going on. And I think it's an opportunity for us as a group, Lisa and I, and also all of you to offer some tips for these uncomfortable situations that probably do occur. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. And there's a lot of you. So you're obviously not going to be able to like talk, yeah. talk about all of your examples, but, but yeah, we were hoping that, you know, again, thinking about what, what are some uncomfortable situations that somebody might come up with that you might need some help or help around. I do also want to highlight a comment that was in the chat from Mar Marcia. I don't know if it's Marcia, Marcia, who's mentioning a positive of the pandemic, right? That the COVID pods have actually created opportunities to better connect with a small group of students so that their conversations are more authentic, which is awesome. Right. I don't see any examples coming up, but maybe what we can do is go into the next one where we, uh, we talk about some inviting conversations. And if you all have an example, we'll go back to it and we can use that as, as part of our springboard. Yeah. So, you know, we, Lisa already talked a little bit about this, right? So calling someone in versus calling someone out, right? I think those of you that are educators or have a background or work in the field of education in any capacity, like myself and Lisa, I, I see pretty much any opportunity as an opportunity for education, right? Anytime someone messes up, you know, calls someone the wrong name or uses inappropriate language, right? Certainly those are all times we can educate and make sure that we are recognizing the behavior and, and making sure it doesn't happen again. I always thank people for coming to me, right? I think it can take multiple times for that student you know they might attempt to talk to you a couple of times before they actually disclose what's going on right I, I remember working with a student at a prior job who was in my class i was teaching it was a five session class and every day after class she would come up to me and just like we would just shoot the breeze a little bit we just talk about you know whatever the weather or the music she liked and then on the final class or the final class she was like just so you know, like, I want to talk to you about something. And we discussed something that was going on in her life. And it took her, you know, that trust building a little bit every day. And so thanking her for coming up to me, right, and for sharing that with me, and then providing her with some resources that she can turn to. Anyone who's a counselor, a social worker, therapist in the room, right, um, repeating or rephrasing what the student says. I think a lot of us as human beings, we know how to talk, but not many people know how to listen, right. And I think that it's important to you know, that body language that was mentioned in the chat, nodding the head, right? Making eye contact, rephrasing what the student says. So what I'm understanding is, right? What I'm understanding is you're having this hard time, right? X, Y, and Z, and letting them know that you actually are hearing what they're saying. Letting them know they're in control, right? Discussing their options. We talked about that. I think this one here, right? Not only offering your assistance, but also saying, you know who I think would be great 
to help you with this, right, is this person. Do you want to go talk with to them together, right? So maybe if, if I'm working with a student, you know, I could say, you know, um, I met your school counselor. You do want to go talk to her together, right? Or go talk to him together and maybe go with the students so that they know, okay, maybe there's this another, another person that I can talk to who's also approachable. Following up with them and then a couple of ways to respond to questions, right? Lisa has a little more, <laughs> she's got all these acronyms, these teaching tools. So I'll let her talk a little bit about soy, stop, drop and roll, but recognizing what might be a personal question. Sometimes when I'm in a session, students ask me questions that I don't feel comfortable answering and just letting them know, you know, oh, I, I might not be the best person to ask, but you know, offering them an alternative. Yeah. So the um, acronym SOY is some people, other people, you, and actually I can go back in and like put that in here just, or we'll put it in the notes just so that you, you remember if you're looking at the slides later, but um, some people, other people, you can be really helpful, especially if it's a values-based question. If somebody's asking a question about what you think, what they think you sh they should or shouldn't do, you can say, you know, some people do this, other people do this. You get to make up your own mind or what do you think? How do you feel about that? The stop, drop, and roll is just stop what you're doing. Take a deep breath, right? Taking, bringing oxygen to your air helps you, helps you make decisions and helps clear, clear the mind for a second. So literally just stopping and breathing, dropping any assumptions that you might have, and then rolling with whatever you're going to respond as your answer. And if you don't know an answer to the question, you're not just making it up, but you're saying, you know what, I'm, I have to think about that for a minute, or I'm not sure how I'm going to answer that. Or, you know, let me, let me look this up and I'll get back to you. And then remember the trust, you actually have to get back to them if you said you're going to get back to them. And the impact of personal questions, if there are personal questions, and again, if you've set up your group agreements in the beginning and included no personal questions, that can make it really helpful for when those do come up. You can just kind of go back and say, hey, I'm not going to answer, you know, these questions. If you've been answering personal questions, then it makes it a little bit harder to do that. But what you might say is, you know, I don't really feel comfortable answering that because I feel like what I give as an answer might impact your decision making. And I don't want that to be the case. I want you to make the best decision for yourself and everybody is going to be different in the situation. So what was right for me might not be right for you. So how do you feel about these things? And then you can ask. So, you know, if they're asking something about what birth control did you use or when did you have sex or like something really personal, you know, did you ever use drugs? You know, I don't, I don't actually feel comfortable giving you the response to that because I feel like whatever I say might impact your decision. So again, it just takes it completely out of it. It doesn't make them think, Ooh, she's not answering it. So that means she must've done it. And that's why I think if you can just set up that, you know, no personal questions right from the beginning, it's actually really helpful to, to put that context in. And again, that's where the boundaries come into play. You know what? I'm really happy to have these conversations. You know, I, I don't actually think it's appropriate for me to share what I did, but you know, here's, here's some things that can help you make those decisions. And then whatever that is, get, get providing those resources. And Lisa, we did have a question come in the chat. If you'd like to offer some advice, it says, yeah. how, would, how would you address an adult that seems to unintentionally set off a student? So it sounds like the adult is nagging the student, giving them unwanted negative attention. Yeah. So there's two, there's two different ways that you can do it. One is so if you have a good relationship with a student, I mean, you could say, how does that make you feel? Right. Because it might be that they that you're seeing it as annoying it, but it might be that they're fine with it. Right. So maybe checking in with the student before you say something to the teacher. So you could either do this yourself or you could have the student do it. But um, I like to do something that's called name it, claim it, stop it. Again, we can put it in the chat, but it's name whatever it is that's making you. Oh, look at that. I'm going. I'm, all right. So I don't want to like steal Hannah's thunder, but like, yeah, name it, claim it, stop it is one. Um, and that's like the direct way of saying, hey, you know, what you're doing is is either bothering me or it's bothering somebody else, you know, or whatever the, the behavior is. So, hey, I noticed, you know, so-and-so's laptop got closed or so-and-so was upset after you talked to them. Claiming it is how it made you feel or how it made that student feel. And then stopping it is, is literally asking them to not do it again. So you might say, hey, I noticed so-and-so got upset after you. I don't know if you meant it. You might've just been kidding, but I know that he takes some, some things really personal. And so you might not want to fool around with them or, or, you know, I might suggest you don't want to do it. I can tell you, I have a son that's super sensitive. He doesn't like anybody fooling around or, or teasing them, you know? So, you know, some people are just really sensitive. So just making uh, some, the person might not be aware of it. So again, assuming good intention, the person might not be aware of it. So saying like, Hey, I didn't know if you were aware of this. So-and-so is really sensitive. I noticed that when you did this, this is what happened. Please stop. Again, if you don't want to include that person, you can just say, Hey, when I noticed so-and-so getting upset, I was upset because I saw this. 
And then, you know, same thing for the student that is being rude and disrespectful to you, you know, same thing, like, hey, I noticed that during class, you were being a little bit rude or being a little disrespectful. Is there something that's going on that you want to talk to me about? Because when you say those things, it actually makes me feel really bad. Or, you know, I was really upset. It was distracting today when you were doing those things. So, you know, what's next? So when you're having a bad day, can you text me next? Uh, can you put it in the chat or can you talk to me before class and just let me know you're having a bad day so that I know not to call on you or, you know, so that I know not to bother you today. But again, just letting them know whatever it is that they're doing, how it's making you feel. And then what is it that you want to change or, you know, fix for the next time? I love the circling up idea too. You know, if, if, you know, you get students used to circling up about things that can be really helpful. If they're not used to circling up about things, now all of a sudden you want to circle up, that does get a little bit weird. So the more that you can circle up about good things. So start your days with, Hey, we're going to circle up with what we're excited about spring. We're going to circle up with what you did this weekend or, you know, whatever it is, get them used to that, something that you learned today. So that when you are circling up about something that has affected the community, it's it's easier to do and it's not as, as hard. And then would you encourage this with a kindergarten age student? Sure. I do name it, claim it, stop it with my fourth grader all the time. I do it. I think it's great. You know, trying not to do the you and put it more on me. So when I see, when I hear, when I feel it, that's really helpful. But yeah, I mean, I think in general and especially helpful for young, young kids, right? Hey, when I go to play with my ball and it's not there, I get really upset. Next time you want to borrow it, can you ask me, right? Like, you know, teaching them that tool can be really helpful so that they don't just go snatch the ball from the person that took it or start fighting with their, you know, kindergarten friends in the play yard. And then Hannah, do you want to do delegate and distract since I already th stole your thunder for direct? Yeah, of course. I think with delegate too, it doesn't always, I mean, it says ask someone else to get involved, right? That doesn't always mean running to the principal or, you know, someone with authority. Of course you can do that. But I think even just getting a second opinion is sometimes helpful because sometimes we witness a situation and we don't necessarily know what's going on, right? We don't have all the facts and getting someone else's opinion um, can be helpful. I think with Sarah's example that she put in the chat of an adult who's um, upsetting a student, right? Talking to a coworker, right? Saying, hey, have you noticed when X does this, right? That, you know, the student seems upset, right? And kind of asking them what they think. And then possibly, you know, now you have an ally if they feel the same way you do and you can talk to that person together, right? So you have kind of a, a backup plan or, or another person that you can talk with. With the situation, right? I think recognizing I know that this is a big statement to say with anyone who works for kids, because I know that sometimes we take it all on, right? We want to fix everything and, and it's not possible all of the time, but recognizing your own boundaries and your own capabilities is really important. Sometimes a student might be going through something that you went through and it's upsetting to you, right? And you want to help this student, but maybe you aren't the best person because you're seeing it kind of from not their perspective, right? You're seeing it from maybe you as a kid or you as a young person's perspective. So getting someone else's opinion, asking someone else, hey, you know, can we talk to this student, right? Or maybe telling the student, hey, you know, my coworker, Lisa, you know, we can go talk to her about this if you're comfortable with that, right? And, and finding someone else who can talk about it. Um, and then distract, right? So diffusing the situation, calming it down. I think this, it depends on the situation for sure, if this will be helpful or not, right? Um, I think, you know, like knocking over a bucket of crayons or something isn't necessarily the best way to distract all of the time. But um, with students, a lot of the time, if they are disclosing something personal, they might kind of use a roundabout way to describe it, right? I've had a lot of students come up to me and say, my, uh, oh, my best friend is being bullied, right, online, and I don't know how to help her, right? And, you know, the way they're saying it to me, I'm, you know, assuming that they're talking about themselves, right? But they don't want to say, oh, I'm being bullied, right, online. So finding a comfortable way to talk with them about it and to say, follow their direction and say, well, how does your best friend feel when that happens, right? Distracting them <laughs> from that. And then offering them some other tools they can use, right? I know a lot of counselors and therapists use sensory tools, right? Like Play-Doh or puzzles or things like that, that while they're talking, they have something else they can focus on. So it helps them. <laughs> any questions or other comments before we're about to wrap up in a couple minutes? Lisa, do you have anything you want to add? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it. I, I, I mean, I mentioned the, my teacher used to shut off the lights. I know sometimes I'll, I'll make everybody raise their hands. Like if things start really going crazy in a, in a classroom, 
you know, I raise my hand and then I, I, you know, I'll, I'll usually get a couple of other kids to raise their hand or usually the, the students that are paying attention start raising their hand. And then before you know, it, everybody's raising their hand, except for the kids that are talking. And then you can be like, hello. And then usually again, it just gets everybody back. But, you know, you can use those things where again, you don't have to start yelling and screaming at students, but I actually found the opposite. I found if I stopped talking, students are like, why isn't she saying anything? And so then, you know, they start shushing each other. I hate shushing people, but they start doing it to each other. So again, just like figuring out for you what makes sense. But for me, you know, I'm, I don't, I can't stand it when, when teachers start yelling at students and I've heard, I've been in classes where I can hear them yelling next door. I always like to do the opposite. I like to go backwards and, and just really be quiet or, or hold my hand up or um, we used to do show five where you, you know, show five fingers. And then, you know, at, slowly the teacher goes four, three, two, one. And by one, you're, you're supposed to be ready to go. Um, but you know, figuring out that for yourself, you know, is really helpful. And, um, and you know, for me, I, I like will say in the beginning of a semester or the beginning of a class of working, like, here's how I handle when you're all talking. So just so you know, when you see my hand going up, this is what it's meaning. And so again, just, I don't, I just don't like to yell at students. So that's kind of how I use it. Cause let's be real. I mean, students get out of control sometimes in the classes and they do start talking over you and maybe being inappropriate or doing stuff that you have to put an end to. So. So this is sort of our wrap up here. If you just want to put in the chat, right? Why being an approachable adult is so important. You can put a takeaway from the webinar today if you'd like, something you learned or something you think you'll use in your practice, or maybe something you want to know more about that um, we can elaborate on, you know, the next time we do a training like this. And I did put, um, I, I believe that they're also going to email them, but if you are interested, I also put a PDF of the slides in the chat box if you want to download them. Perfect. Thank you. And um, I know that you're also getting a reminder to fill out your post survey for a chance to win a gift certificate. We are also putting our contact information here on the slides that we're sharing with you so you can get in touch with us. I also put in the chat our school-based advocate contact. So Beatrice is here on the call on the session, but also if you are you know, meeting with a student that you think needs some extra support, or maybe the students experience trauma and you want somebody to talk to that student, we have a school-based advocate that can go to the school and can talk to a student right there at the school. Uh, she also has office hours that she sets up virtually so students can reach out. So again, if, if a student is needing kind of more than you can give, feel free to reach out to our school-based advocate who can also connect them to lots of other resources in the city. So you have a, an additional resource in that. And her email is bake, like bake a cake, only she's not baking, <laughs> she's helping. Thank you for everybody who's joining us. Thank you, everyone. This was great. And thanks for participating and offering um, your expertise as well. We enjoyed it. And feel free to reach out if you do have questions or you need us, sir. And I'm re, I just saw someone ask about the slides. I'll reattach them in the chat there. I hope everyone gets out and enjoys the day. Thanks for listening. To find more content like this and see the video version of these webinars, please see the links in the description below. If you like this one, Please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.